you. This is Cruise Radio Rewind. Real reviews from real cruisers. This week's episode of Cruise Radio Rewind, sitting down with a former cruise line executive, Art Sabarski. He was with Norwegian Cruise Line, Celebrity Cruises, and Crystal Cruises. Kind of doing some inside baseball talk on this one and uh, a little behind-the-scenes look of what the cruise line is like behind the curtain. We just taped this about an hour ago in the Observation Lounge on the top deck of Norwegian Encore. That's where we are right now, sailing a three-night inaugural. So there was a little bit of noise in the background, so I do apologize in advance. We were by a crew door where they were taking laundry and food in and out, and I was just too into the interview to to move and disrupt the flow. So here's the interview with Art Sabarski. I hope you enjoy it. So my guest today is no stranger to Cruise Radio. In fact, uh, the last time he was on the show, the show is the highest downloaded episode I've done. I've been busting my ass for 10 years doing this. You come on, make an appearance, and just blow all of my stats out of the water, man. Art Sabarski, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, man. That's a surprising stat, but I appreciate it. I'm flattered by it. It still amazes me. So we're on Norwegian Encore right now. We're up here in the Observation Lounge, which is the... This spot, I guess, would be... It's an observation lounge. It's pretty much unrestricted views throughout the whole half of the ship or the front quarter of the ship. Good for Alaska. I guess we'll just start off by talking about Encore here. What have been your impressions so far? I think it's a beautiful ship. I thought this class of ship was beautiful from day one when they first brought it out. And all they've managed to do in the years since the very first in the ship, there are four of them now, um, they've improved it. Uh, I don't think there's any area where they've gone backwards, whether it be uh, food, whether it be entertainment, whether it be activities, whether it be the layout, the decor of the ship. Mm -hmm. I think they they continue to do uh, a forward-looking job with it. One thing I noticed is they've axed Spice H2O on this ship. The um, laser tag course is there now. Would that be like a revenue move, do you think, why someone would do that? I think almost every move these days is revenue-driven, mm-hmm. but we've been on board now for, what, a little over two days, Yeah, and I didn't realize the Spice H2O was gone. So, so, whether, it's, you know, so whether it's, it's just not my cup of tea or yeah. something I'm not going to specifically miss, what was Spice H2O? It was that adults-only area on the back of the ship with the big screen back there, and it was wide open. There was a couple of pools. Oh, okay. Remember now I remember spot? it. Yeah, that's yeah. Gone. it's gone. Yeah. It's, we were playing laser tag in its space <laughs> okay. yesterday. Laser tag is fun. I've never done that before. This is my first time playing laser tag. Um, I wasn't planning on doing it, but as soon as he announced that there was no running, uh, I said, I can do this. And it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was. It's, uh, I was really feeling my knees because I was doing a little running a little or bit. squatting and trying to get behind the maze. It's like the journey of Atlantis, right, with uh, mm-hmm. the big mythical creatures and everything in there. And it was really fun. And uh, and they have to do that uh, in a way because they have to do it for families. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain age range that they have to cater to in there. Yeah. And the age range has to be enough so that uh, young people, their parents, even grandparents can go in there. I think one of the most aggressive people that we had in there who was not either part of our two teams uh, was a woman. She had to be in her 70s, and she was just darting around. Short little woman. <laughs> she got me a couple she was, times. <laughs> she was just darting around. Having And one point she says to me, I'm going in, cover me. And I, and I, and I just thought it was a perfect embodiment of what mm-hmm. the fun part of a ship like this can be. 
she's quite a firecracker. She was wanting to do um, zip lining and the, the big adventure course over there today on the island. So oh, wow. she's, uh, yeah, she's all over the map. Okay. I hope, you know, I hope she did. I hope yeah. she's having a good time. And to get back to your original point, the thing about a ship this size and with the thinking that comes into it from Norwegian, they can have different stuff for different people because not all of the, what, 4,000 people are going to want to do the same things. You used to work at Norwegian Cruise Line. When you were there 20-ish years ago, did you think back then we're going to have go-karts on a ship or laser tag or all the whoop-de-doo features that they're putting on ships these days? Did you see that, like the direction we were headed back then? I would love to tell you that I saw that coming. Mm -hmm. I didn't. What I did know that was going to happen was that the industry... Uh, which was populated by some brilliant, brilliant creative minds, was not going to stop where they were. They were not going to um, cease uh, trying to innovate and create new things. Um, in 1989, uh, a decade before I got to NCL, I was doing an interview when I was at Crystal Cruises, and I got asked a question in terms of because we did some innovative things at Crystal in 1990 on our first ship that for its time was pretty innovative. What was that? Well, we had two alternative restaurants. We were the first ship to do that. and We didn't charge for the restaurants on board. Uh, we were the first ship that hold, had over 50% uh, balcony rooms. That had never been done before. So we, we, we tried, in our own terms, we tried to reinvent luxury. It's not that we were inventing it, because luxury ships existed. There were some really high-quality ships out there. We were just offering a slightly different slant on it. Mm -hmm. Now, every ship has more than 50% balconies. Most of them have 80 or 90% balconies. Right. But the two things that I predicted would, would come, and I'm not, I'm not the most creative guy, but the two things I said was there are going to be um, bowling alleys on cruise ships and that there was going to be a McDonald's on a cruise ship. Well... I was successful with the bowling alleys. There were on, on Norwegian, as it turns out. And there was no McDonald's, but there is a Johnny Rockets, of course. Mm -hmm. And there are Starbucks. On, on at least two different cruise lines has Starbucks now. And a third one serves Starbucks. Yeah. So, and I'm sure there are more. But that's the, again, the, the creative minds in the industry, both from an uh, architectural aspect and from a product standpoint, are way ahead of what the hotel industry has. Do you think one day they'll push the envelope too far? Sure, yeah. I mean, and consequences, or? Well, consequences, that's, that's a tough word. Um, I'm not saying like some big maritime disaster or well, anything that, like that. But that's but, sort of what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, if, an, if, if an airplane or an airline um, uh, uh, airline construction company like Boeing or Airbus or whatever pushes the envelope too far and they do something wrong, uh, planes can crash. Mm -hmm. And knock wood, let's hope something like that doesn't happen. Okay. Um, if a cruise line um, built, comes up with a concept for a hull design or a complete ship design that doesn't work, they will know that before it gets in the water. They will know that because Shipbuilding now is so scientific. The engineering that goes into it and the way they build nearly full-on hull designs uh, in, in advance, um, it would be tough to, to, to build a ship 
um, that would have a problem. You look at these ships and you look at how much of the ship is above water. Mm -hmm. The average mind cannot contemplate how a ship can float with such a little portion. You got 19 decks above the waterline and only 23 feet below. It's amazing. It, it is amazing. Yeah. And you, with everything that we have in here, um, I mean, just as an example, I, and I know we'll probably talk about it, and if we don't, we should. Uh, we went to a show last night on here of, of, of an hour and 45 minute version of Kinky Boots, which mm -hmm. is a, a very popular Broadway show. And we're sitting there in the middle of uh, the ocean, the Caribbean Sea, and we're watching a near full length Broadway show um, with 800 and something people in the theater watching this at no charge. Yeah. And, that, and that's just an example that uh, of the kind of room they can have on a ship. Uh, so do I think that the, the, if they push it too far, they'll get rid of it? There, yeah, they there can are, pivot, yeah, I guess. They can, yeah. There are things that have not worked on cruise ships that cruise lines have put in, um, and they didn't work. So guess what? They went away. It's like, any, it's like any other venture. You can change things. With the cruise lines you've worked at before, were you ever there, like during your tenure, did you ever see a ship from an idea to launch like yes. in the whole process? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, mostly, mostly at Crystal. Okay. Uh, Crystal, um, I got there in August of 88. I was the 13th employee of the company. The time I got to Celebrity, uh, Mercury was pretty well along, but we still were at the stage where we could make changes. Um, for Norwegian Sky, at Norwegian, Norwegian Sky, the hull had been bought uh, for Costa. Okay. And they wound up not being able to take it financially. So we bought the hull, and then we designed the ship to go on top of it. When you say you bought the hull, does that mean you bought, like, like how it sounds, you bought a steel hull, or did you buy the deck plans and everything as well? We bought the hull. To be honest with you, I don't remember. I, have a, I, I would guess that the deck plans, or the general arrangement, which is usually what it's called, I have a feeling that came along with it because mm -hmm. certainly Costa did not need it right. at that point. I don't think we used much of what they were planning to do mm -hmm. because we created a very different kind of ship than what they were planning on doing. When you were at Crystal, where was your like where was home office for you? Was it California or it was California. We were in Los Angeles. We were right in Century City uh, in Los Angeles, uh, which was a, a neat place to be in those days. Uh, we were in the same building. Well, the building we were in is the building that was featured in the movie Die Hard. Okay. And Ronald, while we were there, Ronald Reagan uh, had just left the presidency, and he had the top floor. And oh. we, ha we had the, uh, the second floor of the building uh, for the time being. And it was great because when he, when he was retired, he came to the office almost every day. And we would see him going up and down the escalator from the main floor to the garage, <laughs> uh, conversations with the Secret Service people. He never rode the elevator with anybody else. There were Secret Service people, two, usually two of them, but no other uh, people were allowed in the elevator. That's wild. But that was cool. That was now, cool. During a new build like that, like how much of your time was spent over at the shipyard overseeing anything or just checking on things or the progress or whatnot? For me, not that much. No? Um, okay. No, I, um, my job was mostly involved in working with the hotel and the marine departments to determine what we wanted mm -hmm. 
Um, and again, at that point, I was, I was a real rookie in the, in, in the industry. I was still new to it. So I was learning on the fly. Um, I didn't start going over until we had the ship in construction, and I started taking press over uh, to see the ship. You came from the advertising world, right? The marketing yep. world? Yes, sir. Like when you were, was that in Manhattan you were doing it? Or in uh, LA? I, start, I started out in Manhattan. Okay. I started out in Manhattan while I was a freshman in college in 65. And I was in the advertising business through graduation until 79 when I got an offer to go to California to work for another advertising agency, uh, handling an airline. And then in 88, I was offered a job at Crystal to t become the uh, original senior VP of marketing. I was, uh, I was the 13th employee of the company. What was the advertising world? Was it like Mad Men, like you would see on TV back then with smoking in the office and just people with high tempers and... Smoking, yes. There was, by the time I got involved, which was 65, um, yes, there was a lot, of, a lot of smoking, but there was very little drugs that I was aware of, certainly in the office, mm -hmm. uh, especially in, in, in Manhattan. The, the nature of Mad Men was based on a fallacy, and the fallacy in Mad Men is that the Don Draper uh, character, who was a creative guy, mm -hmm. there were maybe five to ten percent of advertising agencies were run by creative people. Okay. Most advertising agencies were run by the business people, which was the guy with the white hair in the corner, whose name I don't remember mm -hmm. right now. Um, and there were good people. There were bad people, there were uh, philanderers, there was a lot of drinking, that there was, uh, <laughs> that went on. Um, it, was, it, it, was, it was a fun time uh, to do that. That was also back in the heydays, um, or the early days of Studio 54. So, and how much time did you spend there? Probably too much. <laughs> uh, and then I, got, then I got the chance to go to L.A., and by the time I got to L.A., the um, the drug culture had hit, and I was very much aware of it. I did not, again, I did not partake in it. It just wasn't me. Um, but a year after I moved to L.A., um, I met a woman who, in New York from Florida. Um, we got together. We got uh, engaged very quickly and turned my entire life around, all for the good. Not, not that my life was bad, but I met, as I say, the one. That's awesome how and life happens like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just when you least expect it, you change your career, which happened after we got married or after I got married, uh, from advertising to cruising. And then you go from uh, being a runaround in, in L.A. to being married five months later. Wow. And without, without one moment's regret either way. And here we are today. And here we are today with our umpty ump ship. The industry keeps growing. It is going to keep growing. The percent of luxury beds in the industry is the same percent now that it was in 1990 when we launched Crystal Symphony. Of course, I'm sorry, Crystal Harmony. Same percent luxury beds. Is Harmony still around? Harmony is over in Japan. Okay. It was renamed the Asuka 2, mm -hmm. and it's part of the NYK line uh, of ships. And uh, Crystal sold, I'm sorry, NYK line, Nippon, Yusin, Kaisha sold Crystal, I'm going to say Genting. I think you're right. I think they sold yeah. it to Genting a few years ago now. And that was when the flurry of building for uh, Crystal started. 
under NYK, Crystal was never going to go beyond two ships. Mm-hmm. And Genting wanted Crystal because they wanted the prestige of that line. Yeah. And they also had a very aggressive new building plan that they were able to put into place. Do these luxury brands just market to a certain demographic? Like, does, would Crystal just target people who make, let's just say, 200000 or more a year? Is that why a lot of the people don't really know about Crystal or the other lines like Seaborn or you know the top lines? Does that I, make sense, I, what I'm th- saying? It, it does make sense, and I, and I certainly think that's a factor mm-hmm. in the whole thing. Um, first of all, Crystal... Um, needs fewer people per year than um, uh, Carnival does. Carnival yeah. has uh, 27 ships now. Mm-hmm. They're going to have 28 by the end of the year with Panorama. The uh, They have some 6 to 7 million people a year. I'll do a rough count on Crystal. Crystal has two ships at about 1,000 people apiece. It's 2,000 a week, longer cruises, so 40 weeks, 80,000 people compared to six million. Yeah, it's a whole different marketing thing in terms of how you go out and you market your product. Is it just less ships, lower overhead, all that? Well, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it, the, the analogy I would give you, um, if you look out on, on the road and you count number of uh, Toyotas that are out there versus the number of Lexuses that are out there. That's a good... Um, you look at the number of Four Seasons hotels or Ritz-Carlton hotels that are out there compared to the number of um, Best Westerns, mm-hmm. Hyatt's, whatever. Yeah. Um, the higher you go in the economic spectrum in any product, the fewer you need of them. Yeah. Okay. And the cruise industry is the same. But in the same time that all the you hear mostly about the giant ships that are being built, including this one, the number of ships that are over 4,000 uh, uh, guests per ship has rocketed during that time. But then you've got Seaborn, which is up to seven ships. Now you've got Silver Sea, which is building ships. You've got uh, uh, Regent, which is building ships. You've got Crystal, which are building ships. And so what happens is that the bottom uh, uh, tier of the cruise pyramid expands. So do the upper... Uh, parts of the pyramid because you have to have a place for them to go. You look at Princess, Holland America, MSC, and Celebrity, they all have somewhere between 14 and 16 ships. Mm-hmm. And they're all building. So they have to, they have to get their people from somewhere. Yeah. Um, we heard Harry this morning say that about 1% of their business comes from uh, other cruise lines. Personally, I would challenge that figure. I would too. But be that as it may, it is a, it is a relatively small number because they're mostly getting their business, in the case of Norwegian, they're getting it from people who have never cruised before or they're getting it from people who have taken a hotel or a resort vacation that now are looking uh, at cruising. You look at um, the fact that cruising has become mainstream to the point where Shaquille O'Neal, who's got one of the highest Q ratings of anybody, is the spokesperson for Carnival mm-hmm. as the chief fund officer, and he's great at that job. Uh, and it's just a sign of how cruising has become mainstream. Do you think recruiting talent like Shaquille O'Neal or Guy Fieri or whoever, do you think recruiting that talent is going to get people 
to Cruz because it's a like a matter of influence. If Shaq's like you know pulling the line for Carnival or Guy Fieri is, they're going to want to Cruz because or yeah. they heard it from Guy Fieri or Shaquille O'Neal. Yes, I, I really think it does. I think every cruise line has to make a decision. Or like the Love Boat for Princess. Love, Love Boat yeah. was was great, and Love Boat uh, was turned down by a cruise line before uh, Princess accepted it. Do you know what line it was? Simar. Okay. John Bland was president of Sitmar, and John Bland, um, Leonard Goldberg, and his partner, they went to John Bland in Century City, Los Angeles, and they recommended the uh, the concept, the TV concept for a TV movie called Love Boat. And John, in his infinite, John was a very smart businessman, but he was not the most romantic person in the world. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I don't think this is us. I don't think romance is the." big part of cruising. Wow. And this was in the mid-70s, 60s, late 60s, and they literally went down the street to Princess, and uh, Art Rodney met with them, and Art Rodney said yes, and he took the concept of Stan McDonald, and they said yes, and that's how the Love Boat was born. And I got to tell you, Love Boat was so much more appropriate for a cruise line named Princess mm-hmm. than for Sitmar. Yeah, and then finally in nineteen summer of nineteen eighty eight, Princess bought Sitmar, ironically, but yeah, I, I secondhand endorsements like Shaq or Guy Fieri, uh, on here, um, NCL has just launched a restaurant called Anda by mm-hmm. Scarpetta. He's a very well known chef and restaurateur, with outlets in New York and outlets in uh, uh, Miami Beach. And he has recreated his shoreside restaurant on here. And I ate there last night. They did a great job. And I will tell everybody I know that I had dinner at Scarpetta on a cruise ship. And yes, that's the kind of thing that will bring in people. I guess like a go-kart track on a cruise ship too, right? You're doing that. You're going to tell your friends you did that. They're going to see your photos on Instagram or Facebook and like... We got to do this, and then they'll come and do it. I guess you know you're putting the or like you know what 2014 when Royal Caribbean put the bumper cars on. There was Anthem and Quantum. It was okay. the Quantum class. The okay. Quantum was the first one. They put the bumper cars on there, and I remember it being like such the coolest thing. Then the indoor skydiving, and people were just flocking to those ships because of those attractions. Absolutely. Where now it's like you have the slide going over the side of the ship that's uh-huh. clear. Then you have the go kart track going 13 feet over the side of the ship, just. And laser tag. Yeah, and laser it's tag. just so, it's a floating amusement park almost. But do you think that you're ever losing the connection with the water, though? Oh, absolutely. I spent time yesterday in the room they have here. They have the uh, thing called Galaxy Lounge mm-hmm. with these really high-tech virtual reality machines, unlike anything I've ever seen before. And room within a room, they have two escape rooms. And the escape rooms cost $15 per person. And you're allowed to be in the room for up to 45 minutes to escape. So if you really do it fast, you can be out usually in under 15 minutes. Or you take your time and you're in there for 45 minutes. And it's a better value, but that's a different issue. Everybody wants to get out of them fast. Right. But if you're in, an, in, in a locked-in, sealed-up escape room in a... Um, video reality gallery of a gallery of machines on an inside floor you're not going to see the water everybody's different and that's a great way to spend time get your get your kids doing other things maybe the parents want to relax 
To me, the beauty of being on a cruise ship is that there's water, water everywhere. And it's just looking out the windows where we are. It's, to me, this is, this is beautiful. Yeah. I do feel like some of the ships have really taken the water away. Now, this ship, I like the waterfront where we were last night uh-huh. on deck eight. That was amazing. Such That's a connection great. there. Where we are up here in the observation lounge overlooking um, Great Syrup Key right now. Uh, that's awesome. But you look at ships like, I don't know, like the Oasis class kind of took that intimate feel of the water away. And then another thing is, I feel like pools, like pool space is actually getting smaller too. What, why do you think that is? Because a lot of people like the pools, or maybe they don't. That's why they're getting smaller. I don't know. Well, the, the pools are getting smaller, especially as a percent of the total deck space. Mm-hmm. And um, the pools themselves are getting a little bit smaller, but as I say, it's even worse because they're in a bigger space, so there are more deck chairs surrounding them. So the pools are the same size Mo- for the se, most part. But for the, the most part, the square footage is larger around it. Yes. And they're putting more deck chairs, so it just looks a little smaller. And they're putting more bars. Yeah. Around there, um, you know, I never thought about it that you, way. You look at it here, and and that, again, that's part of the revenue grab. Sure. You you look at the main pool deck here. That used to be on a pool deck on a mass market ship. There would be one pool bar, usually at one end of the uh, pool, and that would be it on the pool deck. Now there are two. There are, pool, there are bars at diagonal ends of, of the pool area. Mm-hmm. Why? They want to sell booze. Yeah. Booze is still one of the biggest money makers a cruise ship has. And so the more you can get people to buy uh, booze, and how do you make people buy booze? By making booze visible to the people so if they see a bar they think ooh booze mm-hmm. they've got 22 bars on this place yeah All right, a it's seven wild. day cruise <laughs> it's really going to be hard for someone to, to set out to do that um, I think they should give you a bar card with all the names of the uh, bars and stamp or click it every time you go to a different bar and at the end of the cruise if you've hit legitimately every bar you should get a drink or an Alcoholics Anonymous card. <laughs> Speaking of the bars and the bar service, the drinks, 20% is a little high for the, for the service charge per drink. I think it is. It's I mean, now the highest in the business. Yeah. Um, it used to be gratuities on board were completely voluntary, like mm-hmm. they are in a restaurant. Then uh, the cruise line started adding 15% uh, gratuity. Most people tip 15%. Sure. Somewhere in real life over the last 10 years, somehow average uh, uh, tipping changed to 20%. And that happened at the same time when restaurant prices were going up. So in total, the average tip was higher Mm -hmm. on a higher amount of cost. I have always been a, a bigger tipper, not because I have money, but because for the more, most part in business, I was relatively successful. And most waiters, waitresses, serving staff, wherever you are, they don't make that much. Yeah. They live for tips. Mm-hmm. And I am disgusted by people that under tip people. If there's bad service is one thing. Right. But for the average um, person, you get pretty darn good service. Of course. Um, The cruise ships then started averaging 15% automatically to onboard charges, and they called it gratuities. 
And they also start adding the onboard tipping to a person's folio to make it easier and more convenient for the guest, as opposed to giving out the old-fashioned way of envelopes. So you put cash in the envelopes and you hand that to the person. They just made it official. Then a cruise line came along some seven years ago, maybe now, and raised that 15% to 18%. Only one cruise line did that for, for, for years and years and years. Now most cruise lines have raised theirs to 18%. Mm-hmm. And the cruise line we're on right now has changed it to 20%. And they're calling it a service charge. They're not calling it gratuities. Realistically, there's a certain amount of suspicion as to where that 20% is going, whether or not it's going to um, the dining room personnel and the housekeeping staff the way it traditionally has, Mm -hmm. whether other employee departments are getting it, or whether or not the cruise line is pocketing it. And I'm saying that, and I'm not calling anybody out for it, but I'm saying it's a factor, and I would be willing to have that conversation with the people who run this cruise line. It's heading in a direction that I, on behalf of younger guests, I'm just not comfortable. It's one thing for booze prices to be going up. It's one thing for a la carte uh, specialty restaurants uh, to be coming in more and more where the prices are going up. But adding a service charge where people don't realize what they're paying Mm -hmm. troubles me. When you were at Crystal, was the gratuity included in the fare? No, it was separate. And Envelopes or? Um, envelopes and those. Okay. And then very quickly we changed to adding it to the folio. And Behind the scenes, when you added it to the folio, did it make it more money from the guests? Well, it's, it's really hard to know because with the envelopes being given directly to a crew member, we never saw what oh, they just got. Pocketing. Okay. But we pretty much, we had a pretty good handle on what they were getting. And putting... putting uh, a certain amount of money on the folio per day, and I think we started out at ten dollars. We didn't okay. start out at fifteen. Um, you know, gave us a, uh, a a pretty good way of compensating the staff. I would submit that if if you are in a restaurant or if you're at a bar, and over the course of the cruise, there's someone who makes your experience better, and you want to reward them. Give them cash, shake hands with them, give it to them, not in an envelope, but just give it one-on-one to the person. And I don't care whether you're on Seaborn, where tipping is not expected, or you're on a mass market ship where it's automatic. Mm-hmm. Don't put it on the gratuity line uh, on, the, on the check. A regular service, yes, that's not an issue. But if there's someone who at the end of the day is the kind of person that when you, re- when you tell your friends about the cruise, if there's a person that did something really nice for you that you want them, uh, you, you want to tell your friends about that made it special, give them cash. Yeah. Thank them. Because they don't make that much money. You said something a few minutes ago that now I have a question about. You said that booze is one of the big revenue generators for cruise lines. What would you say the top three revenue generators are for cruise lines? I know it's evolved over the years. Booze is, has, has, has been number one mm-hmm. forever. Um, depending on the cruise line, uh, the casino mm-hmm. makes money. Uh, nice thing about a casino from a management standpoint is that they know pretty much for every roll of the roulette wheel, uh, every roll of the dice at craps, every turn of a hand in blackjack, 
they know they're going to make money because yeah. the, it, it's not that the game is crooked. It's just that the odds are in favor of um, the, the house. house. That's, yeah. that's why they build all those tall buildings in uh, um, Vegas and everywhere else. They don't make it because people are winning. They make it because mm -hmm. people are losing. And a casino ownership is, is, is no difference. Um, so casinos are right up there. Shore excursions are up there. Um, I don't think shopping is as, as, as big a difference. Um, trying to think. Spa services, maybe? Spa services is definitely up there. I would say that uh, specialty dining now mm -hmm. is becoming much more of a moneymaker than it ever was because there's just so much more of it. And it's, with it, so much of it now becoming a la carte dining, it's easy to spend a lot of money. We figured out at our table last night what our meals would have been. And my meal last night probably would have been about 80 bucks. Wow. So, and I think it was worth it, but that also means that, you know, you look at 160 bucks for a couple. Yeah. That's a, it's a fair chunk of change. Yeah. And, you know, if you do it a bunch of times during a cruise, it, it adds up. Set up, sell game. Absolutely. I, I was walking on MSC Maravilla, which is a beautiful ship, by the way, man. Have you been on that one yet? I have not Maravilla? been on it yet. Wow. It's, it's so beautiful but i was walking on it and they're they're on their upsell game like they're they're trying to hit you for drink packages and dining packages but you do save the money with it and i they got me i bought the easy package the drink package for six to, um 35 dollars a day i think it was oh, that's cheap yeah, yeah and um like they're it includes anything on the menu six dollars and less so i just drink vodka soda and vodka was six dollars okay the cappuccinos the big bottled waters Sufficient for me. Then you could you could upgrade if you wanted to as well. But it was it was cool. Um, I know you have to go photograph the ship and all that. I don't want to jeopardize any more of your time. I've had you for about forty minutes already, man. Wow. But I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time. It's always a pleasure, and uh, I really value your friendship. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love. I do still uh, some twenty years after I left the business full time. I really still enjoy cruising, and I enjoy talking about it. Uh, at all levels. So thank you. Thanks for giving me the time. Always enjoy having Art Sabarsky on the show. If if you like these type of interviews, um, first off, he was on the show two years ago. Uh, I referenced that earlier in the interview, and I'll link that up in the show notes as well, because if you haven't listened to his interview from two years ago, you need to go back and listen to it. He was just all over the map and giving us all kinds of information on that one. So that'll be linked up in the show notes and at cruiseradio.net. But if you do enjoy these kind of interviews, let me know so I know to do more of them or less of them. Doug at cruiseradio.net. All right, more coverage coming on the two ships I have been on, MSC Maravilla and currently on Norwegian Encore. So look for that coverage in the coming weeks. I really appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you Thursday. Take care.